back, Thong Earthlets. My name is Conrad, alongside my friend Fox, and this is the 56th episode of Space Spinner 2000, a podcast where two Americans try to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This episode, we're covering 2000 AD for November 1980, progs 184 through 188. This week, we'll get the we'll get ugly with Otto Sump. We'll learn Matt Talon's cause for revenge. We'll travel all over time with the Strontium Dogs. Get airborne with Meltdown Man, and we'll learn how Devil Babby is formed as we return to Armageddon. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. How is Devil Babby formed? Anyhow, surprisingly beautiful the conception it's a whole thing but let's get started with hi everyone if you're like me you listen to a lot of podcasts and hear the same old ads for beauty boxes each one offers different makeup skin care body care hair care and fragrance products but in the end the goal is always the same to reach the same regimented standard visions of beauty our new sponsor says all pretty people are pretty in the same way but every ugly person is ugly in their own way. Embrace your inner uniqueness by subscribing to The Sump Box and have Auto Sump's skilled team of uglyticians create a personalized box of products to make you ugly in your own way. Whether it's tooth rotting sump paste, quick lime shampoo to eradicate your hairline, or just plain old ward on to induce rapid wart growth, Sump's team has the ugly solution for your life delivered once a month direct to your door. Use the code SPINNER to get your first month free. And remember, get the sump box and get ugly! Thrill One, Strontium Dog. Script robot for Strontium Dogs, Alan Grant. Art robots, Carlos Escara. Learning robots, Steve Potter. Oh yeah! Spring time for Hitler. And Germany. Man, this is winter for Hitler, because as yeah. Johnny Johnny Alpha Wolf and the Gronk assault Hitler's bunker. Yeah, not really a difficult thing, apparently, for these two. Yeah, we're deep in Hitler's bunker. Everyone who isn't wanted by a trans-temporal bounty hunter, leave the room immediately. <laughs> it's a downfall, right? Anyhow, um, they, they interrupt Hitler having his double prepare to commit suicide for him in his place, while Hitler himself would escape to Argentina or whatever, but those plans are foiled by our guys! A uh, couple stasis grenades freeze the opposition, and Johnny's psychic eyes let them know which one is the real Hitler. It's the one with all the burning Nazis and Nazi flags and tanks. <laughs> yeah, he's got a, got a Nazi aura. <laughs> <laughs> They all leave as the double kills himself, establishing our timeline, just as the future bounty hunters from last episode arrive to take down Johnny Wolf and Gronk! With, like, a weird tentacle arm man and a dinosaur that looks kind of like a Koopa. Yeah, the Dervish Dogs! Oh, they have names. It's Armstrong Jones. Yeah, the, uh, the future bounty hunters, of course, are Armstrong Jones, Big Cynthia, and Slabhead. And Slabhead has a couple of tiny mutants called the Dervish Dogs, which are, yeah, just waste-high mutants of destruction, basically. They, they kill a bunch of Normos, and that's a no-no for traveling in the past. Meanwhile, no one really gave them the memo. You know, who's who can tell who's going to survive in this in the war zone of um end of war Germany, you know? <laughs> Meanwhile, our guys are are uh, our, our guys jump in or bump into these guys as they're driving Hitler around in Hitler's sweet limousine. <laughs> With uh, though uh, they're trying to get back to the time slip, Wolf has jammed a sock into the Fuhrer's mouth to make him shut up because he's just being yeah. real mouthy about this whole thing. Yeah, he's talking his ears off like their cucumber. Exactly. The boys fight through the uh, the futuristic bounty hunters, and they wonder where the fourth Strontium dog from last time that won this job, uh, Sticks, is. <laughs> the weird face dude with yeah. the hair in the trench coat. They make the time slip and return to the present to find sticks waiting for them, about to gun them down. Oh, snap. How are you going to get out of this situation? Yeah. Sticks open fires on the boys plus Hitler, and in response, Johnny hits his time ejector, which hurls them to a random point in the timeline. Which apparently, I mean, that's actually 
a pretty solid get out of fucking bad situations card, I guess. Definitely. Um, I like how, although, you know, when they needed to, it'll also teleport them to, like, the ejector teleports you through time and space. So you land oh. on Earth safely, like, on, mm. on the planet, as opposed to other time things that warp you, you know, through time, but not space, like leaving you in the middle of deep space where the Earth was or something. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Oh, always. <laughs> Anyhow, they arrive at a random spot, and they just decide, all right, we'll, we'll hole up in this point in time <laughs> until Styx comes for us, and then we'll have a showdown, basically. It's rough, though, because wherever they've warped to, the world is about to end. Although hey. this is like a like almost immediately resolved by Wolf, who's like, "Well, I was I've been ahead of this time before." <laughs> yeah, that's. I mean, it, everyone's freaking out, but the strong team dogs themselves are like, "Eh," like they aren't really that impressed or worried, which is kind of a funny thing. <laughs> uh, yeah, I love it. They're just like, "Eh, we're just gonna take this swanky hotel and just chill out." Yeah, this, it, it's cool because everybody's freaking out because they're about to die, so it means that. Um, Wolf and Johnny and, and, and the Gronk can just kind of do whatever they want because no one's really <laughs> worried about the consequences of anything. Yeah, that's uh, pretty fair. <laughs> um, but yeah, so there's a comet on the way. It'll hit Earth tomorrow. Hitler remains mouthy. Um, <laughs> if you take the sock out of his mouth, so just keep it in there. They mm. The boys hole up at a hotel playing cards, waiting for the other Strons to show up. They don't have to wait long. Johnny's able to take down the dervish dogs by setting his blaster to kill. Meanwhile, Big Cynthia gets the drop on Wolf with the Electro Nux. Big Cynthia is so far my favorite of all the aggressors because yeah. she's got spikes for head. Definitely, yeah. I appreciate her just decision to be big and punch people. That's a good choice. <laughs> Johnny hits Cynthia with the time trap, which causes her to repeat the last two seconds over and over again. As Seems, like, fucking horrible. <laughs> it's definitely, like, they don't sort of give you a sense that you're aware of that you're caught in the time trap. But, man, that's got to be real, real rough when you get out of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Armstrong Jones and Slabhead attacks... The, the pair uh, team up, and it seems like the Dervish Dogs aren't dead quite yet. Johnny blows the hand off of Armstrong Jones' big arm that... He blows the hand off the big arm that comes out the side of his head. Um, as Wolf and Slabhead scuffle, Slabhead calls the Dervish Dogs, which accidentally murderize Jones on their way to take down Johnny Alpha. But Don Johnny dodges the Dervish Dogs the last minute, and they cut right through the wall of the hotel, falling to the ground below, 66 stories down. Kind of really awesome. It's pretty so cool. Our guys steal Slabhead's time hop, and they return to their room to find that Hitler is missing! Oh, God, we've got to find Hitler. Hitler's brain and the rest of him is missing. So <laughs> it turns out that Styx has stolen Hitler. He's climbing down the side of the building just with his, like, bare hands because he's got super yeah. strength or something. It's not really clear what Styx's mutation is, but he's very cool. Um, yeah, he just, like, smashes his fingers into the stone. Yeah. Uh, uh, Johnny gives chase. He shoots sticks, and then he jumps from he jumps to the ground using a grav shoot to slow his fall. As the comet bears down on Earth, the celebrations and like people like freaking out because they're about to die reaches a fever pitch, and sticks and Johnny Alpha show down. Johnny wins. He hits sticks with a heart shot. Styx tries to get the last word, though, by using his dying strength to kill Hitler, but instead Styx gets hit by, hit himself by some falling debris from the comet and is killed. Kind of an awesome way to go out, all things considered. It's always a weird situation when you got to say, no, don't kill Hitler. <laughs> so, Shoot. The, uh, the boys are able now to return to the future, where Hitler is stripped down to his underwear and sent off to the Committee for Ultimate Restoration. Uh, retribution wishing he could go back in time to his nice quiet bunker go to hell hitler <laughs> johnny and alpha head out a million credits richer ready for their next job next episode muty's luck what i found like particularly bizarre was well not bizarre but funny is like when they go back to the future everyone's like i who whatever this hitler guy i don't know him yeah just fucking like get him to dress down cover him and lie and then throw him to the cur <laughs> i mean you got to remember that like strontium dog takes place in like the 2180s i want to say 
which is after two huge um, atomic wars that really messed up Earth, you know? Like, it's in between, like, it's, it's, it's both the atomic war that sort of created the cursed Earth and set Judge Dredd in motion, and then another huge atomic war in 2150 that spread so much sort of strontium-90 through the Earth that it created this whole race of mutants and stuff. Plus just, because this thing takes place in Judge Dredd's world, there are actually, you know, just through the adventures of Judge Dredd that we'll see through the course of the podcast, <laughs> there, oh. there are people that have killed way more people than Hitler in the course of Judge Dredd. Um, oh among, them, among them, Judge Joseph Dredd. But anyhow... <laughs> <laughs> um, oh my god... <laughs> I mean, you know, so it just—it just means that while Hitler remains, uh, you know, is certainly still a bad guy. I mean, we know that characters such as um, Call Me Kenneth and Judge Cal both appreciate Hitler for his evilness. <laughs> I mean, Dan Dare doesn't have a bust of the guy, but he's blown up several planets. Well, yeah, but that's a different timeline, and in in the twenty <laughs> in, in the twenty five hundreds, you know. You. I'm just saying that that at this point in in Johnny Alpha's world, there are both more candidates for ultimate evil ruler and more recent candidates for ultimate evil ruler. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So he so Hitler sort of lost some luster in the same way that maybe like a Genghis Khan has lost some luster for us in the twentieth century. You know what I mean? Yeah, I gotcha. Or you know, I don't know. You know, you know what I mean, basically. <laughs> Anyhow, because Genghis there Khan, are, there Genghis Khan, easier murderers to go for, but I guess we'll just go for this German dude. Feels like well, like it just means that like the committee for ultimate retribution is like you're going that far back to find guys to prosecute, like you know. <laughs> um, Maybe they're just starting from you know A and moving down the list. Certainly could be. <laughs> hey, speak. <laughs> Speaking of complicated rules and bureaucracy, Fox. Oh, God. Thrill to Mean Arena. So what's this weird thing with this guy playing the piano and singing at a dead body? I, so script robot for Mean Arena is Tom Tully, art robot John Richardson, lettering robot Peter Knight. Yeah, it opens in this funeral home where I guess the funeral director of the of the home is like wearing like a weird uh a hat and a costume and sort of playing a sad song at a piano at sort of the funeral service for paul simpson that uh, guy that died in the first couple episodes of mean arena it's just really weird yeah it's a weird funeral experience i wonder if this is like some kind of thing that i don't know <laughs> You know, whenever something's really weird, but no one comments on how weird it is, I assume it's just some kind of British thing that I just don't get, you know? <laughs> uh, well, because, like, the character is tossed aside so quickly. It's like, why is he even there? He's, like, thrown into a casket yeah. by fucking Talon. It definitely seems like, yeah. Like, Let's go check out this dead body. And, it like, seems it like a... Like anyway. a, yeah, it seems like like a joke or a commentary on something, but it doesn't yeah. seem like it's something out of the ordinary that this would be happening. They just toss the guy to the side because they need the team medic, local Annie, to uh, perform a medical exam on the corpse of Paul Simpson. Apparently, he's been broke. His body has been broken and put together so many times that he's like a Chinese puzzle. Which I don't know what that means either. Anyhow, yeah, I have no <laughs> idea. But then they throw money at the funeral guy and yeah. close him in a casket. Yes, yeah, yeah, satisfied with this talent. Yeah, he dumps some money on the funeral director and tosses him in a casket and goes to rejoin the team. <laughs> yeah, just the most confusing way to open this. There's a lot of assumptions going on in what we expect funeral homes to be and how you'd interact with them in a future setting and this that are over my head <laughs> but we, we we get a look at the uh, crappy team facilities of slater's slayers which it's basically just a wall and then a, a shitload of ruins essentially um yeah, this does not seem like a safe place to practice yeah talent offers to fix everything thanks to the endorsements that they'll be able to get because of his fame as a street football player in Slater's office, Slater and Annie ask Matt about the hallucinations he had while playing the game last episode, and he agrees to explain the story of a man who lives with one foot in the grave. I was once a cat, but now I'm just a man. <laughs> it's the it's opposite weird. Cobra Commander, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> once a cat. Anyhow... <laughs> 
<laughs> we go back to uh, Talon's last match in the States where the Florida Uh-oh, Fiends... New rule. <laughs> where the Florida Fiends played his team, the St. Louis Leopards. Oh, God. Before the game, and it looks like, I guess... Street football's really evolved in the States because there's a ton of rules and equipments and things that they don't have in the British version. But before the game, the uh, best player of the Fiends, the Arch Fiend, Archie Shugru, plays the Black Ace card, I guess? <laughs> it's Yu-Gi-Oh! By playing this card, he'll get a million bucks if he scores a goal. But the Leopard's long stop, which is apparently a member of the team that is just like a straight-up sniper, can <laughs> shoot wow. to kill him to stop him from scoring. And he only has one bullet. Yeah. So I guess there you go. Shugru taunts the team and pisses off Talon, but not as much as the new innovations to the game piss off Talon <laughs> even more, like adding which... two dudes with jetpacks to each team. <laughs> and it's just like, I fucking hate this. For reasons. This It used to be about the street football, man. <laughs> so Now it's now it's about cool jetpacks and fucking million dollar prize <laughs> fucking pools, I guess. Yeah, I hate prizes and jetpacks. That's the exact opposite <laughs> of what I like, of what I hate and don't and like. Um, so... <laughs> Play starts and Shugru tosses Talon into a big pile of garbage, which makes Talon out be out for blood, which is apparently playing right into the hands of Shugru and his henchmen flying above them on jetpacks. Don't um, worry, it'll be covered in the next comic, which has my favorite title, Street Mate. <laughs> so so Talon chases Shugru into a shopping mall and manages to trap him in an escalator and steal the ball. Heading this out does not end well for bro. <laughs> heading out, the uh, the ball is stolen from Talon by a jetpack player who then passes it off, and the two jetpackers then stay behind to assassinate Matt Talon. Only- you know that guy's legs were getting crushed by the escalator the whole time. Yeah, you know, it was right? good. Well, you know, I mean, Sugar manages to escape and stuff. He just ends up being real messed up. Um, gross. The. Uh, only seeing one of the flyers like char- tackling into him with a power drill keeps Talon, <laughs> allows Talon to dodge and escape with his life. Instead, one of the flyers kills the other one with the drill. Meanwhile, Shugru has recovered from the escalator thing. He's all jacked up and he's on his way to score to win a million bucks. The long shot is about to take his shot, or the long stop is about to take his shot, when Talon, blinded by rage, tackles Shugru himself and is hit by the sniper's bullet instead. Great work, Dumbo. Shugru then spends so much time laughing at this situation, (laughs) the bullet that was meant for him being instead hitting his biggest rival in the back of the head that he takes his sweet time uh, scoring, allowing Talon to actually recover, and he tackles Shugru again, uh, knocking Shugru into the automated street football net, which electrocutes him and cooks Shugru alive. Which kills Shugru. Talon's also bad, as the long shot's bullet hit him in the helmet and sent a ton of metal shrapnel straight into his brain. Uh, It's time for operations. Talon gets a new left hand, and most of the metal is removed from his head, except for one piece that is too close to his brain to be removed, and now just occasionally kind of tickles his brain, giving him hallucinations and stuff like we saw in the previous game. This but will... he's also, like, super wicked fast and shit. So oh, yeah, whatever. I mean, he's still the best street football player. It's just that when he, you know, playing street football moves that little piece of metal around and will eventually kill him unless he takes it easy. But he's not gonna. He's back playing street football instead because that, <laughs> that dead guy, Paul Simpson, was Matt Talon's kid brother. Oh, my God. Now he's out for revenge for all the people that messed him around and he's going to use Slater's Slayers to get that revenge starting with Carl Jaws Jensen stop, top scorer for the Southampton Sharks Mina Rita will return in Prague 191 holy shit also the first like kind of vaporiz- vaporizing gooification we'll see out of this comic book uh, for this month a lot of vaporizations of this month yeah <laughs> Speaking of, well, yeah, no, yeah, it, it gets pretty ugly as the as the uh, progs go on this month, Fox. I <laughs> and, would say so. And speaking of ugly, 
Oh yeah. Oh my god. Thrill 3, Judge Dredd. So, script robot for Judge Dredd is John Wagner and Alan Grant writing as T.B. Grover. The art robots Mick McMahon Ron, uh, and Ron Smith letter robot is a Tom Frame. No one goes in, no one goes out. The Charles Darwin block has gone ape. Get it? Because this one's about apes, kind of. That's right. Professor F. Northcote Frib has created an enzyme that will reverse the process of evolution, but then he drops it. He's both He both devolves into a monkey man, and now the enzyme is in the air ducts of the Charles Darwin block, and it's devolving the whole block. Ah, it's like that episode of Star Trek The Next Generation that called Genesis, the one where everybody starts turning yep. to monkey dudes, and, and, yeah. uh, and like Ape Riker tries to eat that fish in the Enterprise uh, conference room and stuff. That's a good episode. Anyhow... This is why you don't create airborne enzymes, I it, guess. It's true. Um, also, this enzyme smells like spaghetti sauce, just as sort of Which a secondary sauce? joke. Spaghetti's yum yum. It's true. Dread arrives to find the block cordoned off by judges. Several judges have tried to enter the building and gone ape already. Dread, <laughs> Dread puts on his respirator and heads in as one of the monkey citizens causes a huge explosion in the block's boilers. Which is like. I mean, it's like, I mean, I know you said huge, but it blows like it, a massive hole. Yeah, it just sort of opens up the front of the block, essentially. It's crazy. It's so awesome. Like, it's the best. I love this uh, set of, um, like, colored pages. Yeah. Like, the giant orange explosion with the green Judge Dredd and uh, it's very cool. looking judges. It's yeah. Super cool. Dread dodges the explosion and confirms that the respirators are working correctly, so he calls in the rest of the judges to clear the block up. They have to fight back against ape citizens that are either really silly or expressing their human nature in ape form, like a gangster ape that's charging banana tolls to move through the hallways. Oh, that was pretty good. Yeah. Dread goes after Professor Frib, and as he gets close as he gets deeper into the block, he finds that people are more and more devolved. A family of acrobats, the flying Gundersons, has turned into murderous lizard people. And when Dread well, finally finds Frib, the professor is just a big old pile of goo. And I guess eyes? Yeah, well, you know, he's got some stuff, but yeah, mostly goo. The the yeah. ape citizens are rounded up and taken to safety to hopefully someday be revolved. The Charles B Darwin block is burned to the ground, and goo Professor Frib is arrested. Which Put that amoeba in irons. <laughs> he's just, like, in a pot, and they're just carrying him along. Yeah, it's 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 ridiculous. This is this is a fun action-packed Mick McMahon like quick story. Just ape dudes mm -hmm. going around going crazy. Hey Fox, what's up, man? Get ugly. Oh me. During the Judge Child quest, a new name in super liminal advertising has arrived. None other than the ugliest man in Mega City One, Otto Sump. And his interactive billboards are kind of cool. Yeah, well, you know, in The Simpsons, they talked about how there was subliminal advertising, regular advertising, and superliminal advertising. <laughs> superliminal advertising is just shouting, hey, you, at somebody, and then saying what they should do. <laughs> like, hey, you, join the Navy. So, <laughs> after making 60 million credits from the show Sob Story, see episode 39, Otto Sump has opened a beauty clinic, so no one else would know the shame of being ugly. But he insists on working on people himself and always turns them into crazy, hideous monsters. It's that's pretty confirmed. It's Ron Smith really goes overboard in making these ugly people be real, super gross, ugly. <laughs> like man, um, but it turns out that everyone in Mega City One is tired of being like generic, beautiful future people because it's real easy <laughs> to be beautiful if you go to a regular um, like face change shop. They'd rather be uniquely ugly. It's like that Tolstoy quote about unhappy families being unhappy in their own way. Suddenly, all of Mega City One is getting ugly. Yeah, man, it's like all the fashion, including pills that just make you disgusting. Like yeah. fuck scum, roll on deodorant. <laughs> yeah, all throughout the all these Judge Dredd stories, there are these like commercials for ugly stuff, like dandruff shampoo. 
But all is not well as masked man as masked man Bert barge into an ugly clinic and start tossing bombs. Dread is first on the scene of the wreckage as more reports of attack on some clinics come in. Someone is trying to put Otto's sump out of business and using pretty ugly methods. Ah. Oh my gosh. I'm, I'm, I'm elbowing you now, Fox. You, you can't yeah. tell. It was good. <laughs> I liked it. After they show a nine-step process of how to get ugly the auto sump way, holy Which crap, it's a lot of work. And it's pretty gross, like super-duper gross. We see yeah. Dread interviewing Sump himself. The clinic owner is a huge Dread fan, crediting him as a co-founder of his business because he got Sump on Sob Story in the first place. Mm-hmm. Dread is not pleased. There's no using judges for commercial ventures. Yeah, what the hell, man? I'm going to shoot your big face of me yeah your big shrine to me and your store dread does learn that sump has received extortion notes um but hasn't told anybody because he just assumed that judges knew all this stuff anyway because they read all of our mail so why not Um, (laughs) (laughs) um but as as he reveals this the masked men strike the very ugly clinic that dread and sump are in Oh my god, the whole place is a massacre. Yeah. They escape and Dread gives chase as um as Jean asks for advice from her friend Mary cuz and, and <laughs> Mary tells her that any girl can be pretty these days. You got to be ugly to stand out. Um, Come on. Dread takes out the masked men and identifies them as members of the Mantis Syndicate, who are apparently now trying to run a, protect- a protection racket on the ugly clinics. The goons are dead, but no one has to know that. That night, the news reports that the goons are alive and talking to the judges. So the Mantis brothers, who are quite ugly in their own right, decide to lead a hit on the goons in the Marcus Welby Casualty Ward, which is another this is where things get TV reference. Yeah. <laughs> They break in, they find the goons DOA, but a very alive Judge Dredd is waiting for them. A gunfight breaks out, which activates a robo-surgeon who's just got like 20 arms, each one full of scalpels, a, a Hammerstein face, and it just starts going berserk and attacking everybody. Yep, it's time to get all uh, Mr. Feely good on some people. Oh my gosh. There's also another round of ads here that just looks straight up like just regular comic book ads which is hilarious. There's like I love it. there's stick on ears just a guy with an ear on his forehead there's foot odor makers and pill and like a, a Charles Atlas like you know 90 pound <laughs> weakling um, ad but it's to become like a 350 pound just sack of flab on the beach. <laughs> Super great. <laughs> Anyhow, the uh, the medical droid and the mantises both run amok through this hospital. Dread ends up taking them both <laughs> out, but not before one of the mantis brothers is basically just cut into sh- into sashimi by the robo surgeon in a pretty yeah. horrifying uh, set of panels. Honestly, it's also- half of a robot just like murdering this guy with yeah. octopus knives, pulling itself around on its octopus arms that end in knives. <laughs> It's really the best. Also, a lady on her way to a uh, to surgery just gets goes flying out a window like straight <laughs> out, like Wiley e. Coyote style, and just <laughs> that image and you sort of a word bubble by a doctor saying like, "All right, uh, cancel the surgery, uh, alert the morgue." Is a pretty is yeah. pretty funny, honestly, just in terms of raw absurdity. It's so like really weird, all of it. Yeah, so the threat to Sump is, is eliminated, and he's pretty stoked, but not for long, because Dread doesn't care for this ugly trend and decides to eliminate it. And here's where we really, you know, not since Uncle Umpty have we seen really just the jack-booted heel of the Justice Department come down on something. Um, yeah, like, and for I don't know what the reason is. Just because Dread finds the ugly craze to be distaste, the ugly fat to be distasteful. Basically, he that is a crazy person's. <laughs> yeah, fucking... he he has the Justice Department standards office crack down on the claims of the ugly products. They cr- they crime blitz everyone coming in and out of the clinics. It's full scale pr- prosecution. Thousands, really yeah, thousands protest in the street, and Dread has city weather control rain torrential rain down on them. <laughs> Finally, a huge tax is levied on all ugly products, essentially killing off the fad except the very rich. Uh, Otto becomes Otto Lestomp, 
high class ugly figure. <laughs> now ugly <laughs> now ugliness is a symbol of wealth and excess, which is fine in my book actually. <laughs> wow. Next episode, Mega Wave Madness. That ended like so intense. Totally, yeah. I love this ending and just this thing of like, yeah, just the Justice Department, you know, reminding you that the Justice Department maybe isn't the uh, the shining good guys you might like them to be, you know? They're just the ones that dared the bosses. Yeah, and also, but also just this, like, Otto Stump and this ugly stuff is going to echo through two th- through Judge Dredd. You know, we're going to see stuff like this just going forward. I even, um, like... Even like in like the '90s, they have callbacks to it. Like there's like a, you know, there's a story about an ugly supermodel, like a, 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 a supermodel that was like part of this ugly craze in like the '80s and stuff. It's pretty cool. Wow. Like, so, why didn't they? Why didn't they just have like the people who owned like the beautiful making places attack some for like hurting their business or something? Why these like gangsters? You know, I, well, I think I don't know. I think the gangster stuff is just sort of they wanted to have like yeah. I don't know. <laughs> they just wanted kind of some, some generic gangster thing. It's it's a good point that yeah, it would have been cooler if like the Mantis gang wasn't just doing a protection racket, but was unhappy that because they were ugly and they felt like Stump was making fun of them or something yeah. like that. But you know, yeah, it's some. I mean, still awesome. Like I, my favorite part was the robot. What killed that guy? Oh my lot. god! Yeah, you know they can't all be perfect. You know that's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> of course. Hey, they speaking. Can, they are beautiful. Speaking of less than perfect, Fox. Oh? Non-thrills, covers, nerve center, and contests. Uh. So, Prog 184, let's do it quick. Uh, no no one apes the law. Mick McMahon shows Dread under attack from devolved ape dudes, the worst kind of ape dudes. <laughs> Meanwhile... Oh. Getting all messy with food. Yeah, meanwhile, mid-prog, the roller skate contest rolls on. That's, and I want to that's win funny. those skates. Get I'm those... going back in time to be the winner of those roller skates because I love roller skates. Man, you can get some roller skates nowadays. <laughs> um, in the nerve center, Tharg the Jigsaw Man complains once again about Guy Fox Day as writers complain about Mick McMahon's art style and everyone starts preparing for the 200th prog. Oh my gosh, only 12 at the end of this episode left. Oh my god. Yeah, think about it. <laughs> Meanwhile, Dale, the sexy female cab driver in Dash Decent, is about to be tortured, but they don't quite do it. This is a, a running theme in Dash Decent that I'm not going to talk about for the rest of this episode, but just assume that Dale is in increasingly dangerous torture things and is about to be tortured, but then they don't do it. Um <laughs> Meanwhile, Dash himself goes for a swim in a pool where he's eaten alive by piranhas. By the end, he's just like living bones. And this issue closes with a pinup of Torquemada of Nemesis the Warlock fame. Be pure. (laughs) Dude. Yeah. So great. So, so ready for Nemesis, dude. Um, (laughs) The Prog 185, the dogs of war are here. Ascara gives us the dervish dogs clearing a battlefield in World War II. In Dash Decent, Professor Zellamy has found Dash's bones and promises to fix him. He clones a skin suit for Dash, but Dash's leg gets stolen by a dog. The Professor and a bag and the bag full of Dash's bones give chase to the terrifying land of Bone City. In the Nerve Center, Thar gives special instructions for readers to get the Judge Dredd Annual 1981, which is apparently in short supply. We love that annual, so everybody should try to go out and get it in 1981. Or in 1980, I guess. Yeah. Uh, In the letters, some kid doesn't understand how mobiles work and thus complains that one set of images is backwards. Another demands an AALN2 instead of Bert as assistant editor bot. (laughs) And another casts some 2080 characters as stars, including the ubiquitous casting of Clint Eastwood as Dread, but also like Muhammad Ali as Black Hawk and the band of Boomtown Rats as the Angel Gang. Mm. Prog 186, get ugly! Ron Smith and Otto Sump are on the case. That's right. <laughs> the roller skate contest concludes. Good luck, contestants. Uh, in uh, the Nerve Center, Tharg the Photographed once again suggests that you can subscribe to Progs from your local newsagent. Well, writers say that uh, Dread might be a cyborg. 
he isn't yet a cyborg, but that will change. And then a kid wins 10 pounds for Judge Drake, which is like a Donald, a Daffy Duck uh, dread. It's pretty good. It's yeah. Well done. It's cool, yeah. It's hard to tell. I wish they were able to make these, especially the 10-pound winners, bigger. Because a lot of times they have a lot of fine detail. It's very hard to see in the, like, one-ninth of a page that they usually give to reader art, you know? Yeah. In Bone City, Dash Decent gets his leg back and is offered the position of General of the Bone People to lead a rebellion against the evil Pong. The professor refuses because he's like made a deal with Pong, but doing so means they'll be fed to the Bone People, so they agree. In <laughs> Prog 187, Dave Gibbons steps in to do an action-packed Mean Arena cover. Uh, score first and check your wounds later. They also shove a dude in the face with your palm. Well, I mean, that's just good football play. Um, <laughs> back in his evil lair, uh, Pong and his daughter, uh, uh, Pong's daughter still pines for Dash Decent, as Professor Zalami has made the ultimate weapon of war for the Bone People, a uh, flying attack top. They assault Pong's base, but not before the Imperial Air Fleet is scrambled. In the Nerve Center, Thog the Robo Hunter announces a bunch of contest winners, including for the Star Trek competition from way back in Prog 140, almost a year ago. Whoa, really? Yeah, because that was probably 140. It's announced in 147, or in 187, so that's like 47 weeks. More than that, actually, because there's a couple of those like missed um, weeks that um, in, in the summer of 1980, so it's seriously like a year ago. I mean, that Star Trek competition was like during like ABC Warriors and stuff. It's long oh my ago. God. Like, you got to, you know, it's crazy. What the hell, guys? Seriously. I guess they got caught up by labor disputes and then maximum thrill power in 178. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but there's letters for advice on displaying multiple 2080 posters in small bedrooms and letters to ask where, about where Dan Dare is. Apparently, he's going to yeah. be in a forthcoming TV show. FYI, no, he won't. Um, <laughs> another writer takes umbrage at being called an earthlet lighten up earthlets and <laughs> there's an ad in the, and there's an interesting ad in this prog for like Roy of the Rovers that's talking about ways to stop soccer hooligans which I think yeah. is cool just sort of as like a weird artifact of the time I guess this prog ends with a pinup of the Blitz Spear. We're about 35 or so progs away from the start of Nemesis, so it's important to keep him in the public's mind. It's so awesome. Totally. I want his cool shit, please. Oh, yeah. So, prog 188. It's weird when, like, an artist is a cover for a thrill, but it's not the artist that does the thrill in the prog. It happened in 187 with Dave Gibbons doing Mean Arena, and it happens in 188 with Ian Gibson doing the cover for Return to Armageddon, where a dude gets fried alive by a computer panel. It looks awesome. Oh, it looks super cool. Yeah, it's just interesting that's not the same, you know, it's not Jesus Redondo doing the cover or, uh, yeah. like, uh, John Richardson doing it in 187. I don't know. Um, the big news, though, is that in the Nerve Center is that this week... Tharg is hinting at, um, that the long-term containment abilities of Boeing may not be all they're cracked up to be, which is oh. exciting foreshadowing. Wow. <laughs> uh, bad news, Mega City. Oh, good news, uh, readers of 2000 AD and listeners to Space Spinner 2000. <laughs> I'm really fucking excited. Yeah, gaze into the fist of it. Um, so there's a top. Um, there's a big uh, top versus rocket dogfight in Dash Decent. Dash ends up removing the drive handle from the top to destroy Pong's ship, and we end with the top falling to Earth. Uh, next episode, the big drop. Uh, man. We're halfway through Dash Decent. I am ready to be done with Dash Decent. There's, yeah. I mean, a lot. There's a lot of incident in it, which is more than I could say for like um, Captain Klepp. But it's just very tiring. I think. Well, it's just noisy and weird and not funny. Yeah, although they definitely tr they're definitely trying. There's definitely yeah, like yeah. at least two jokes every panel, which I do appreciate. There's one last auto sump ad in this prog hidden in the back along with actual ads for like an indie record release and an I ad for those, for those metal track like spinning like player <laughs> soccer things. I mean, I had a hockey version of that when I was a kid or my grandma did and we played it at Christmas, but whatever. <laughs> it's just funny. That's like a like a, the, the fancy French like auto la stump thing with a mega city phone number and stuff. He's like smelling a, a wilting flower. Of course. 
<laughs> yeah, interesting. Yeah, I love just all the ads for the um, auto for the auto some stuff is really cool and sort of building a reality around it and stuff. I think it's very <laughs> neat and something I wish they did more, but I can understand not wanting to give up actual ad space just for in jokes, basically. Of course. Yeah. Speaking of, oh, I don't know. Let's go to the next thing, which is Robots Fox. <laughs> Thrill. <laughs> Thrill for Rojo's Robotales. This, God, weird one. Two Robotales this week, both kind of weird. First one's Night of the Werebot. Script robot Gary P. Rice, art robot Dave Gibbons, lettering robot The Aldrich Mark II. It's Future City, and Mayor Jackson is tasked with solving a rash of violent murders that have gripped the city. But he announces to the city council that he has less than a month to live unless they move fast and have his brain tran... I don't know why the mayor and not the police chief or something. You know, it's just whatever. It's the mayor guy. They can't solve these crimes without him. So he's dying. they got to transplant his brain into an awesome silver robot body. Yeah, why not, I guess. Right? Yeah, oh, but then... A window washer hears this plan and he schemes with his goon buddies to steal the silver body instead. After, okay, here's where it gets complicated. Because <laughs> I guess the, tr- the, the transplant's done successfully and then the goons attack and they force the mayor's brain to be moved to a different robot body, I guess? Yeah. And they prepare to escape with a silver body, but then Moonlight hits the rope, the new body of the mare, and he turns into <laughs> a werewolf. But, like, I guess he's a robot werewolf. He is. He talks in robot box. Yeah, he's got, like, a, the, bo- the word bubble of a robot, but I don't understand how. I mean, okay. This I don't. I... <laughs> not just the body that matters. Apparently, all that matters is the brain of a werewolf. Like I, I mean, I guess I don't know how a human body would grow werewolf fur and a muzzle and stuff. But I mean, I really don't understand how a robot body is going to grow fur and a werewolf face. But whatever. This the mayor is a were, The mayor is a werewolf. He's he's the one who's been doing the killings. He's been. He tried to stop it by having his body. His brain put into a silver body because, you know, silver is good against werewolves. But because of these guys' greed, instead, now he's just a werewolf and he's going to kill all them and everybody else in the city because there's now a robot werewolf on the loose. Beep, beep, beep. I mean, it's not. He he obviously wanted to stop it. Now that he's a werewolf, he's like, oh, fuck it. I'm just going to be a murderer. Well, I mean, I think he's got a different, like, view on how, on the, on whether these murders are good or bad when he is actually a werewolf, you know? But I still super creepy Grinch with super teeth. I just don't understand how a robot becomes a a werewolf. It doesn't make sense. Anyhow, (laughs) the the other really, it's one of the most perplexing uh, parts of nature. become or why do robots become werewolves? Also, why do fools fall in love? Anyhow. Next up is the Miracle in Slum Alley. Script robot Gary P. Rice, art robot Ian Gibson, letter robot the Aldrich Mark II. So life is tough in Slum Alley, Fox. It's a ramshackle, poor district of a shining future city. In one of the shacks, a boy named Tommy is in a coma stricken by a rare disease with only his mother and a robot named W.C. to help him. But the good news! An antidote for Tommy's disease has arrived at the local clinic. WC goes to get it, but on the way back, he's attacked by robo-nappers and taken away. It's like, oh, things just get worse. Knowing he must save Tommy, WC escapes the robo-nappers and tries to run back to the city. He runs so fast he gets pulled over by a traffic cop who orders him to have a period of deactivation for, you know, breaking the speed limit. But there's no time! WC knocks over the cop and keeps running, traveling cross-country because he's now a robo-felon. Hunt, hunted by the police, W.C. makes it back to Robo Alley, where he's attacked by the cops who shoot at him, breaking the vial, holding the antidote. No! They've killed Tommy! W.C. goes berserk, starts flipping police cars and beating people up. He gets attacked by police reinforcements, just as Tommy himself spontaneously reawakens from his coma. Tommy walks out to the street to find his only friend, W.C. the robot, lying dead in the street, killed by the police. His best friend gunned down by pigs. 
But it's okay, because the humans are uh, fine. So all's well that ends well, I guess. Beep, beep, beep. <laughs> beep, beep, beep. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, there's some, there's some weird, weird and terrifying robo-tales this week, Fox. Yeah, Rojo is telling this to, like, kids? Robot kids? Who knows? I guess, I mean, like, I feel like these bedtime stories are very, like, German. <laughs> <laughs> very, very original Brothers Grimm. Yeah. Like, everybody yeah. dies. Beep, beep, beep. Hey, speaking of things that are weird and terrifying, Fox. Oh, God. Thrill 5, Return to Armageddon. This is uh, awesome. Script robot Malcolm, Malcolm Shaw, art robot Jesus Redondo, lettering robot Bill Nuttall. So, so Fox, the first time I read through, uh, like, 2000 AD and stuff, I got, you know, about a thousand progs in. I remember rushing through this story initially, not really paying attention to it. Oh, man. And thus not having a lot of context when this story starts <laughs> getting real crazy. So um, <laughs> I'm pretty excited to give it a close look now. So It is awesome. <laughs> the Prairie Drifter, it's a big spaceship. It's carrying colonists that are like a bunch of religious fanatics, I guess, called the, called the Whalers. Like, W-A-I-L-E-R-S. Things are going cool until suddenly a ship appears out of nowhere and all appears to smash into them. But the oh ship is God. actually a copy of the Prairie Drifter, and there isn't actually an impact when they hit. Instead, suddenly all the stars have disappeared from the sky. What? <laughs> Now all, snowflakes. Yeah, now all there is in space, yeah, there's a bunch of giant metal snow, uh, space snowflakes and a strange ice-covered planet with a sulfur-filled atmosphere. Not a great place. Mm. The whalers are freaking out by this turn of events, much to the chagrin of ship captain Atlanta Watts. Watts sends crewman Celis and a team on an away mission to check the planet out, Star Trek style. They find boy Celis. Oh yeah. <laughs> they find millions of dead bodies all suffering from horrible burns frozen into the icy surface of the planet. Super great. Let's stay here, guys, right? Yeah. Let's look around or maybe we should just fucking leave. It'd be pretty horrifying, especially when they even if they didn't find out that some of the bodies aren't human, but in fact are pretty clearly the bodies of devil men. Whoa. Not a great idea to also pick them up and take them with you. Deciding it's time to make some money on this adventure, Watts has the team dig up the biggest devil man corpse and bring it on board with them, much to the shock and horror of the whalers. Which, again, what the fuck? Watts is just <laughs> blinded by dollar signs instead of seeing devils, and as the whalers threaten a mutiny, the prairie drifter heads off with its devilish prize. As they leave, they seem to collide with a copy of the drifter, and then they just sort of warp back into regular space, stars back in the sky, everything seems normal. Who knows what just happened? Yeah, who cares, because I'm a nutso doctor, and I found some liver that yeah. I can clone. In the science lab, a lab assistant finds out that some of the cells are still alive in the demon's liver. Head Dr. Craven decides to clone the monster, and when the assist lab assistant objects, Craven just freaking disintegrates him with a blaster. <laughs> and another disintegration locked. <laughs> After asked to explain himself, Craven makes up a story about the lab assistant going berserk. Captain Watts isn't too worried about it, though, because he just, again, sees the money he can make by displaying a devil alien sort of back Which on Earth. Great. The whalers are going nuts, though. They're rioting unless the body is destroyed. Watts has Dr. Craven make a copy of the body as a ruse to fool the whalers. Meanwhile, Craven just decides to freaking make some clones of the monster. He's going to make two. I get... For some reason, he knows one will be good and one will be evil. I'm not sure how he knows that will be the case, but he just does it. Um, I feel like it's like a... I mean, uh, I know Dead it's, space meets event horizon situation. Yeah, I mean, uh, I just like he says, I'll make two for safekeeping or something like that. But no, he says I'll make two, and one will be good and one will be evil. It's not clear why that would happen from a devil demon body. Like uh, that's actually in any time you clone something. Yeah, not, one I mean, is evil and one is good. That's definitely the convention of the form. I'm just saying that I could use a little bit more explanation for it. Anyhow, um, oh, I just beat that's clearly yeah. the science of it. Absolutely. Okay, that's fair. I forgot about the about, about the convex nature of twins. Um, 
<laughs> after 12 hours, the copy is made and a bait and switch is done to make the whalers think it's been shot out of the airlock. Meanwhile, in the science bay, the crew finds the burnt up and destroyed body of Dr. Craven, which is disintegration number three, along with two babies, a regular blonde one, and a brunette devil babies with horns, a tail, and goat legs. I wonder which ones is the, is the bad one. Hey, did I mention that the devil, ba- de- devil Baby also has huge bat wings, Fox? Because it totally does! Oh my god! <laughs> it attacks one of the crew members, killing him and, discrim- and disintegrating him really grossly, instantly. <laughs> the, uh, the troopers grab the normal, grab the blonde kid, and they blast the demon kid with their stunners, but it just absorbs the energy. We gotta get out of here! They, it's like, all right, this is getting weird. They escape the room and remark on the fact that there's one good baby and one evil one, and then watch <laughs> in horror as the de- as the devil baby morphs into a regular brunette human baby. Which one's Damien? I well, think it's that one. Well, this makes them worried that the good baby might have already gone through this process <laughs> and could just be a devil baby in disguise. So they, they they toss so they ditch both those babies in the lab and they <laughs> run up to the command room to pump the lab full of sleep gas. The uh, the tech who I guess is gas. The uh, the tech guy who I guess just sits at the at the big gas pumping station on board this ship is is about to press the button, but he doesn't. He feels some force preventing him from doing so. Some other guy comes and says, I'll press that button and gas those kids. But when he <laughs> does, the uh, the circuit, the, uh, the command board, like, so- shorts out and electrocutes this guy, causing him to go up in flame, instantly killing him. Which one, is... Uh, uh, one more disintegration. Yet another one, yeah. What's going on here, dude? I don't know. This is what happens when you're trying to scratch off that weird item on your bucket list, which is gassing children. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Anyhow, next episode, they've disappeared. Well, that doesn't bode well. Return to Armageddon is so delightfully batshit insane, dude. (laughs) All this... So, this is the Wolfie Smith I wanted, right? (laughs) It's just so weird, dude, and, um... Jesus Redondo's art is really amazing too. Like just making all these guys really detailed, and all the disintegrations really messy and gross, and just like ah, it's so crazy. It's so like singular as well. It's like nothing else we've seen so far. Also, before Event Horizon and shit like that. Like this is, it's a good story. Yeah, I think yeah, and it's just gonna get get more ridiculous. I can't stress it enough. Get I'm aboard the return to melting people is amazing. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Get aboard the return to Armageddon train, which is a joke that's gonna make sense in like three episodes. Anyhow, oh. um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Speaking of crazy monster dudes, Fox. Oh, Th- thrill six meltdown man. Oh, this is the one with the cute moles in it. That's right. Script robot Alan Hebden, art robot Massimo Bellardinelli, lettering robot Jack Potter. So, the adventuring party of Nick Stone, Liana the Cat Lady, Gruff the Wolfman, and T-Bone the Minotaur are aboard a stolen skull helicopter on the hunt for the psychic evil Yuji leader Kinita. Hooray for D&D. Oh, man, yeah. Well, this is so, like, D&D slash, like, Dragon Age slash, like, whatever, you know? <laughs> I mean, we talked about it earlier, but, like, these guys are yeah. a total D&D party, just with a bunch of varied choices and stuff. Um, they find them. They soon find themselves at a mine being worked by a bunch of blind mole Yugis, led by one of them with a single eye. <laughs> so great. And they're very cute and sing, like, the hi-ho song and stuff like that. They it's, dig around with their big old hands. Yeah, it turns out that these moles are the forward guard of Kinita, hiding the entrance to his lair behind a bunch of rocks and stuff. don't know if I would have chosen moles to be my forward guard, but you work with what you got. I mean, they're just to make it look innocuous, I think, is what's going on. Mm-hmm. And plus, you know, they keep the door to Kinita's lair completely blocked by dirt and rocks and stuff until Stone is able to prove his bona fides. Yep. After getting the okay from Kenneth's psychic message, the team enters the lair and are horrified. Meanwhile, 
evil Lishar tries to get the equally evil King Seth to reveal Stone's location. The snake says Stone is dead, and he might be right, as we see that a team has walked into a horrifying cave where a giant ogre butcher guy is serving beef and then cat, wolf, and human meat to be served to Kinnita. Oh, the horror! That's uh, that's really convenient because I think that's all four of them. Absolutely, yeah. He's definitely serving the meat of everybody on the team to Kenneta. <laughs> so, oh man, this ugly ogre guy is gonna cut our team up and make him in a mixed grill. But Stone argues that everyone has to stay cool and not attack. It's a gamble, but it works. It oh was my god, it was an illusion! Another test by Kinnita, who finally appears. He's judged Stone to be a worthy leader of the Resistance. Uh, Kinnita is this evil, old, eagle guy. No, he's not evil, sorry. Kinnita is an old, eagle guy. He's assisted by a mongoose man. Everybody chills out and gets some food, as the mongoose reveals that he is the ultimate weapon against King Seth. God, this guy's story arc. Meanwhile, Lishar has discovered that Stone is alive, and he, along with the Tiger Commander, wearing anti-King Seth goggles, grabs Seth and head out to take out the Rebels. He takes... He looks pretty cool with his goggles on. Yeah, man. It's cool when animals wear goggles. I don't know. <laughs> um, Lishar takes pretty much all of the uh, troops, all, all the Predator troops from the city. And this makes the uh, the remaining hu- uh, ruling humans freak out and get paranoid. They lock the gates of the city and toss out all non-essential Yugis over the top of the wall. And when they say toss out, it's like, yeah. Yeah, literally. Just throw <laughs> Back in Canada, lunch is nearly done as Stone checks out an atlas, which seems interesting for some reason, but there's no time! <laughs> Here comes Lee Shar's troops. Oh, no! The Predators are attacking. Ah, and the one-eyed mole gets killed by a crossbow bolt. No. Stone and company prepare to flee, but Kenneta decides to stay. He's too old and frail to make the journey. Stone is the Yuji's only hope. Uh, uh, Kenneta flies out to take down the account and, uh, uh, attackers. He hits several helicopters with mind whammies and uh, crashes into others. It's it's pretty awesome, just like psychicking around. Totally, yeah. The party escapes into the mines, and Lishar, Tiger Commander, and King Seth arrive at Canada's base. Taka, the mongoose guy, takes a ball and chain to the gut as the moles attack the mink foot troops that are the forward uh, guard of of Lishar. It's just like animal murder for the next couple There's a lot going on, man. Stone shoots off Tiger Commander's ear, and he blasts a mink in half down the middle. And you just see it. You just, they just show that. It's, you know, this snip gun just cuts stuff, and so if you hold it sideways and you hit a mink with it, it's going to freaking bisect that mink and be cool as hell. That's so fucking gross. (laughs) Uh... King Seth, get, uh, King Seth gets free and begins to start his own plans, which involve hypnotizing Nick Stone to shoot himself in the head as rebellion breaks out in the city. Kill every human! It's pretty awesome. Just a burning city on the back page. Yeah, yeah. A bunch of... Um, a bu- for a, a bunch of Meltdown Man, it looks like the last page of Meltdown Man is the back cover of the comic, so it's in color, which is very neat. Yeah. So, King Seth almost succeeds in getting Stone to kill himself until Taka the Mongoose comes back to life and intervenes. It's time for some Ricky Taka Tavi action as (laughs) Taka reflects King Seth's hypno beams. But before the snake can be killed, Taka is taken down by Tiger Commander. Snapped in half backwards. It's awesome, yeah. Tire Commander is my favorite. Um, He's just ah, I'm gonna kill. Doesn't yeah, amazing. Him and I, him and T Bone the Minotaur. Those are my top two. Uh, They're big dudes. I like I like the big guys. I don't know. I like the big guys for my anthropomorphic, um, you know, murder guys. Mm -hmm. 
Um, Nick is weaponless. He finds himself on a ledge with no means of escape as Lee Shar and TC bear down on him. But he suddenly manages to escape. A giant eagle and a giant vulture have grabbed him and are flying him to safety until Lashar shoots them down and Stone plummets to the earth. The rest of the party goes to check on him as Lashar returns to the city to put down the rebellion. He finds the city in flames, a full-scale insurrection, as the team finds Nick Stone's body. He's dead! Holy crap. Guess yeah. we better put him in this hole. Dig a shallow grave. The Gorps have dug a grave for Nick, but he comes to as they start shoveling the dirt onto him. Uh, Stone is alive. We find out Stone is alive as Lee Shard as goons drop special gas on the rebelling UGs, making them fight amongst themselves with terrifying ferocity. It's kind of it's like a rebellion just put down a la insanity. Definitely. Meanwhile, Nick arrives at a nearby farm and manages basically to trick the farm owner into loaning him a car. He's got very curly hair. Yeah, this yeah, this farmer's got super curly hair. He basically just like Nick shows up and like, "Hey, I'm a human. You're a human. Uh, loan me a car." He's like, "Sure. You want some mink troops to go along with that?" And <laughs> Nick's like, "Nah, not really." And he's like, "Ah, take him anyway." And so then Nick's got to <laughs> beat him up so he could take the car. <laughs> Butts him in the face with a rifle and then shoots another in the gut with a rifle. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, so the team get piles into the vehicle. They head out to help the rebellion, but it's already been put down. Lashar is using King, and as this happens, King uh, Lashar is using King Seth to hypnotize the remaining human leaders to rebel to obey his commands. Lashar is in control. The team arrives to find the few remaining survivors of the rebellion still fighting amongst each other, tooth and claw, under the effect of the gas. God, the like dog eats that pig's throat yes. too. Seeing the full extent of humans' cruelty in this world, Nick resolves that he will lead the rebellion. No more Mr. Nice Guy. This time it's this time it's war. Next episode, you lot are gonna teach me everything you know about this crazy world. I wonder what the plot's gonna be. Hey, I think it's gonna be awesome. Yep. And hey, that's it for thrills this month, Fox. Whoa! Not only like six thrills, but man, there's just a lot going on. What awesome! Totally. And so, what is your top thrill for this month, November 1980? So uh, I basically had two, and I was kind of just going back and forth. But just because it's so out of left field, it's Return to Armageddon. Nice. Like it's so just fucking crazy like it starts out all right and then suddenly just fucking demons and i i love event horizon and i love dead space i i just love like alien yeah um, things that take place in space and then involving demons or bad news is just fascinating to me so this is like it hits me right in the fun zone uh the oh man by uh jose redondo is like fucking amazing super yeah. detailed beautiful um yeah just like really excited for where this is going because creepy babies etc <laughs> absolutely so what's your what's your bottom thrill this month then uh i mean it sucks that this kind of keeps happening by default i suppose but um oh shoot i'm i'm having like a mean arena uh mean arena uh, like i like it it's just still because I like future sports stuff, and I actually think that the um, kind of the mystery that's going on, or like where where this is all leading up to, mm -hmm. is is fairly interesting for me. I like the guy well enough, just because he's kind of a nonchalant rich douche, <laughs> um, but he, but he's not in it for like the I forget the Mohawk guy's name from um, uh, shoot motorcycle murder mayhem Inferno. Uh, inferno right like he's kind of just going into this for some some other motives clearly yeah um but ones that are not really tied to his fame so he's just kind of no holds barred which is neat but they keep introducing these like random rules and uh -huh. it's less about the game and you know that's the stuff i get excited about like i want to yeah i want to check out the future sports not like have the future sports just be kind of a secondary character i definitely hear you with that for sure 
So how about you? What was your uh, what was your top thrill? What did you find so thrilling? Your eyes bled. Man, there's just an embarrassment of riches this month. Um, yeah. Like Johnny Alpha with Hitler. Oh my God, that's <laughs> so good. Um, like Judge Dredd with Otto Sump. I love that story, and it's such a, a we. It's such a fun. Um, both commentary on like beauty and like uh, commercialism, as well as a as a great example of like the the judges like strength and like what they do to control people and stuff. And just again, just the mega city as a character, these kinds of weird fads that break out and take this millions of people in the city by storm. You know, so yeah. those are all good. Um, yeah, Return to Armageddon, like I said when we started talking about it, I'm real excited just to talk just to read more of this thing. And I agree that like this sort of standard space story that suddenly has demons and stuff in it. Whoa, that's just so ridiculous. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um and then um you know, and then Meltdown Man's going pretty fun. I kinda like the rebellion and stuff. Um you know, I kind of am bummed to say Mean Arena also. I agree that, you know, again, just whenever there's future sports stuff, I'm really interested in learning more about the sports and doing that stuff. I recognize that that's not probably not actually fun to write or to talk about and stuff because <laughs> it's more just me being interested in the novelty of the idea of a comic that's about sports <laughs> as opposed to something that's actually easy to script and stuff. Um so I guess I'll say Mean Arena, and just because Tom Tully still kind of has this really slow writing style and stuff. Um, but yeah. I'll also kind of say, um, like I don't, I don't know if you can really count it, but but Robo Tales were just really odd this month. Like yeah. that that werewolf one was so. <laughs> Again, it just sticks with me just because it doesn't make sense. It's like, yeah. it's a robot werewolf now? Like, I don't know. So that sort of rubbed me the wrong way, too. Yeah, it's definitely kind of a cop-out. It's just like, well, whatever. Who's going to fucking read this, I feel like? It's funny. Yeah. I don't know if it's intentionally funny. It's just like, I don't know. I, I, <laughs> it needed a little bit more uh, seasoning, that story. Although, I did like the one about WC and him freaking... Like, there's a panel where he freaks out because they've killed Tommy. He starts flipping cars, and that's really awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Shit. Yeah, exactly. So, I hope everybody enjoyed the show. You can always find Space Fan 2000 on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, or our podcast site at Cradoline.com. Feel free to contact us at SpaceSpinner2000 at gmail.com or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. On Twitter, we're at SpaceSpinner2K. For everything else, just look up SpaceSpinner2000 and we should be there. And, you know, if you like this show and you want more people to hear about it, or you just want to, you know, boost our egos and stuff, <laughs> writing a, a, a five-star review on iTunes or any other um, podcast distribution site would really make our day. Absolutely. You, you're all sweet and beautiful, and I'd kiss all of you if I could, but five-star reviews are, you know... Yeah, always. So, we <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know. It's fine. Come back next Monday as Dread fights aliens, Walter returns, and the surface of the moon gives up some sweet ad dollars. Oh, the, uh, all right. The Armageddon babies will run afoul of some space pirates. The cool. Meltdown Rebellion gets underway. Johnny Alpha arrests a, a simple country doctor, and one of my favorite 2080 characters, Abelard Snaz, the man with the two-story heads, arrives on the podcast. He sees robots. Fuck? He sees big robots. Oh my god. Love what the him. fuck are you talking about? It's my favorite dude. Anyhow, also, this uh, tune in this Thursday as our Space Spinner Collected Editions roll on. Until next time, I'm Conrad, he's Fox, and we are Space Spinner 2000. Spun Dick Frederick! Spun Dick Frederick! <laughs> <laughs>